We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Turn with me, if you will, to where Jared read to us out of Mark chapter 9. I want to do something a little bit uh, different here tonight. I want, to, I want to kind of preface and look at this passage in the light of uh, a few days in school. Now, some of you say, Pastor, we just got out of school. I don't want to talk about school. I don't want to. Some of you college age, you're still in and you're taking courses for the summer. And I've got friends that are in seminary and they're writing huge papers right now. And the more that we can not talk about at school is a lot better for a lot of people. But how many of you attended uh, private school? Not, not homeschool, but private school. Oh, we've got several of you. Okay, this is going to be very uh, uh, at home for you tonight. Those of you are who are online, raise your hand if you, well, I can't see you, but uh, if you attended private school, I want to take this passage we're going to look at in the setting of a private school uh, instruction. It really is what it is. I titled the message, The Disciples Go to School, because Jesus has, for almost a thousand days, walked through Galilee, Nazareth, walked through Jerusalem, and he's taught the gospel about himself. A few times in different places, he has told people that he is the son of God, the son of man. Other times he said, don't tell anyone. Go home to your family. Go home to your hometown. Don't tell. Oftentimes they went ahead and told of the miracles that he did. Jesus did miracles that no man can do. Nicodemus said, we know you're from God. No man can do the miracles that you've done except he be from God. But we're at a point in time, this is the last tour Jesus is making in Galilee. He's headed toward Jerusalem very soon in this gospel. And as he had taught his disciples many things, all the parables that we've, we've studied, all of the discourses that Christ made, he now, in a setting that I want you to think of, he's going to do a private intensive course for his disciples. He's going to get them alone, and he's going to give them private school. Now, what's important about this? We'll see why he got them alone, what he taught, how did they do on their first test, what happened on the playground. It'll remind us of a lot of things, I think, of our growing up years. Happy Father's Day to all of you. How many of you are dads? Raise your hand if you're dads. If you're granddads, keep your hands up. God bless you. If you're great-granddads, keep your hands up. God bless you. If you're great-great-granddads, that always almost gets us, doesn't it? Praise God for all of you men that are, are dads, and we just pray you've had a good day. And uh, I always tell that if some of you men do not have biological children, you've got a whole lot of children in this church that are yours too. And so God bless you. I pray that it's been a good, good day. I got to spend time with my family yesterday, children and grandson and uh, you know, one of the greatest things that happened is when my wife, Nana, grabs that little boy, Luca, and then he sees Papa, and he does this to Papa. Oh, I just think that is great, because he really loves Nana a lot. But if he ever comes and reaches out for Papa, uh, I just tell his dad, what kind of car does he want? Uh, what color? Uh, where would you like me to put the money? And it's just a blessing to be a dad, a granddad, and what a blessing it is as Jared prayed a while ago this is our father's day every day is our father's day our father in heaven look with me please in mark chapter 9 let's go to school 
Mark 9.30 says, From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. Why do you think he records that again? Jesus wanted some privacy. He wanted to take the disciples and keep them by themselves to teach him some things. The miracles had drawn great crowds. When Jesus went to Jerusalem and he ran them out of the temple, it grew great crowds to come and hear him. But now he is wanting to teach the disciples some things to prepare them for Calvary. You may say, well, Jesus is the one going to Calvary. Yes, but those disciples' lives are going to be impacted for the rest of their lives because of what Christ is doing for us. Calvary, the hill of Golgotha, Roman execution, death. Jesus rarely spoke of his death without speaking of his resurrection also. Did you know that? This is going to be the second of three times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to have to be taken by wicked men. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to punish me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be laid in the grave, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. Did the disciples get it? No. And before we give them a hard time, we probably wouldn't have either. They were expecting a victorious military type leader and they wanted Jesus to show himself to the world right into Jerusalem on that white stallion be like David and bring back Camelot in the land of Israel and Jesus said it's not going to happen that way he reminded them of the prophecies your servant comes to you lowly riding on a donkey it's not going to be like they thought so the first thing he says, I want you to go, and he's gonna, this is the last tour, as I said, through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know about that. Have you ever taken an intensive class? That's one where you go for a week from eight to five, and it is intensive. It is a lot of information crammed together. You're trying to get a whole semester in a week, and you walk out of there feeling like you've drunk from a fire hose. They've backed the, the, the dump truck up and just unloaded it all on you. How many of you came to the conference here at the church a couple of weeks ago? Did you feel like that? Oh, my goodness. We've got so much information. Well, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take them, get them alone. It's going to be private instruction from the professor. When you go to a college, most likely you want to find out how many students per class per professor. Makes a difference, doesn't it? If you're in a class of 250 people, that's different if there's only 15 in there. So this is going to be private instruction. He's preparing the disciples for Calvary. Here's their first lesson, verse 31. For he was teaching the disciples and telling them the Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself most of the time in the Gospels, the Son of Man is to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him. When he has been killed, he will rise three days later. The second of three times Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection to them. That's the first lesson. Hey, guys, I want you to know we're headed toward Jerusalem. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to get arrested there. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be flogged. They're going to take me and they're going to crucify me on a Roman cross. But after they've laid me in the grave, I'm going to rise again after three days. Now, how many of you would have said, now, wait a minute. Would you run that by me again? But maybe not. Maybe you had already heard him say that 
and you'd say, I don't want to talk anymore about that. Have you ever gotten to a circumstance like that? You've heard so much negative. You've heard so much of the bad stuff. You just get so tired. You say, I don't want to hear it anymore. Six o'clock news. I don't want to hear it anymore. Possibly that's what they were feeling. So their first lesson was, again, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed to Calvary. I'm headed to the grave. But I'm headed also to be raised from that grave. They did not understand that. The rising from the dead was foreign to them. And you and I wouldn't have understood it either. Let's, how'd they do on their first test? Don't you always just love that when the teacher says, I've got a test. Put, put your books up, get a pencil, get your computer, get your phone out. We're going to take a test. Verse 32, but they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. Again, I want to put you, ask you to put yourself in their position. Um, they might have been afraid because they were afraid of rebuke. You remember what Jesus has just told Peter? Peter, get behind me, Satan. He's desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Peter said, Lord, I won't let them take you. I'll give my life for you, Jesus had said to Peter. The rooster's gonna crow a couple times and you're gonna deny even knowing me three times. And they might not have been rebuked like Peter was, so they, they're afraid to ask him. They didn't understand. How many of you have been taught in school there's no stupid question? You didn't go to school with some of the people I did. <laughs> there's some stupid questions, but it's okay to ask questions. You know the most intelligent people I know? Are good question askers. How many of you, when you were students, if you dare to say it, you, you were never afraid to ask questions? God bless you. You're brave. You're my heroes. I was always afraid to ask a question. It's just the way I was. But here, they were afraid to ask him, maybe of rebuke, or maybe, I don't want to hear more about death. I don't really want to find out what he's talking about. That's not a good subject. Can we change the subject and talk about something more positive, something more happy? And I'm, I'm, they might have been afraid. Or they might have been afraid that, well, I'm not going to understand it anyway. He said so many things to us. Uh, some of you have been watching that television program on television called The Chosen. And uh, I, I think that there's some good things in that. They tell you it's it's not a reenactment of all the words of the scripture. It is just kind of a backstory of what life was like in that day. And uh, one of the statements that they said that just sticks out, they have t-shirts with it printed on there. Well, Jesus is teaching something and Peter says, well, that's different. And you remember what Jesus says to him? Get used to different. Because these disciples are hearing things nobody else has ever heard before. The Messiah is taking them to school. So they were afraid to ask him. I've been in that circumstance before, afraid to ask questions because of what the answer might be. So we've seen private school with Jesus and his disciples. Their first lesson was about Calvary. Their first test was they didn't understand it. They would have gotten all the questions wrong. They'd have made a zero on that one. Then next... In the school you went to, was there ever trouble on the playground? Now, you probably went to a place that never had any trouble and nobody ever called anybody a name and nobody ever did anything wrong. But I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' school, there was trouble on the playground. Look at verse 33. 
they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, and that's probably Peter and Andrew's house. Capernaum is the city where Jesus spent most of the three years of his ministry. He would always go back there, sometimes at Bethany with uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But Capernaum is the main city that Jesus would go back to, called a hometown during that time. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. Here comes some more tests. What were you discussing on the way? Now, usually when they walk in, in, in Jerusalem, there were some narrow pathways. And Jesus most likely was walking ahead, and you couldn't walk wide because it was, it was a, normally a, a narrow path. Jesus even spoke about narrow paths in his parables. So he would have to have heard probably a commotion behind him or arguing of some kind. In fact, that Greek word there that is used for discussing is D-I-A-L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Dialogues, oh my, I just love to say that. We get the word dialogue from that. But it has, it has an implication of they were arguing. Now, unless you're an only child, maybe you did still. But there was a lot of arguing with five siblings in my house. We didn't have to have something really to argue about what time of the day it was. We could argue about that, whether it was day or night. And we could argue almost about anything. The disciples were arguing. So there's trouble on the playground. There's trouble among the students. They've got a discussion going on. They're bickering. They're fighting back and forth. And Jesus comes to them and says, tell me what you were talking about on the way. Look, verse 34, but they kept silent. Your parent ever come to you and said, all right, tell me what you've been doing. And you have the most innocent look on your face. You have never, I love it, you know, when a little child uh, don't, don't, don't tell on anybody, but I love it when a little child maybe for the first time gets a pair of scissors and, and uh, you walk into their room and there's a big place here where the hair is missing. And you say, what are you doing? Did you cut your hair? They just look at you. Surely you don't know that I just cut about, you know, four inches off this side of my head and now it's lopsided. We're, we're silent. We don't want to say, you know, we had a cookie jar in our house cookie jars. It was so great. You could always reach in there. Somehow the cookie jar in our house got broken. I still to this day do not know who broke it. I know I didn't break it. It got glued back together, but all five of us got blamed for it. I still don't know who did that. In our next time we get together as a family, I think I'm going to try to investigate. But they kept silent. What were you talking about? What were you discussing on the road? They kept silent for on the way they had discussed which one uh, which one another, which, uh, excuse me, with one another, which of them was the greatest? Well, that sounds like school, doesn't it? I can throw a ball farther than you can. I can run faster than you can. I can jump higher than you can. I still remember those days when we'd make these, uh, you know, I can, I can do this, you can't do. Human nature is pretty common. And we always try to outdo one another. You get out of school, you do that in the corporate world, or you do that in, in the secondary education. You know, my grade point average is going to be higher than yours, and I'm going, to, I'm going to compete. And we're taught to compete. Healthy competition is not bad. Do the best that you can. But in this case, the disciples were walking down the road thinking, I wonder when Jesus sets up his kingdom, who's going to be number one? Now, probably because Peter is very vocal, 
probably because he is a natural leader, probably in Peter's mind's thinking, guys, you don't even have to ask that question. <laughs> I know who it is. But John might have spoken up and said, now, wait a minute, I've been with Jesus for a long time and I've walked with him and, and I've done that. And maybe Philip did, Nathaniel and some of the rest of them, James. And, well, what about us? So they're arguing, arguing about who is the best, who's gonna be the greatest. Jesus had told them, that they were going to sit on 12 thrones with him in his kingdom. Well, that wouldn't be enough just for them. They want to know whose throne's bigger, whose throne's closer to Jesus. A couple of them even got their mother to come and to talk to Jesus. Hey, would you grant that my two sons get to sit on your right hand and your left hand? That was pretty good, having your mama, you know, come to, come to school and, and lobby for you a little bit. But notice what happened, the next verse, sitting down. Who knows what that significance that is? What happens when a Jewish rabbi sits down? What's about to happen? Still to this day, he's about to teach. Yeah, they don't stand up to teach, they sit down to teach. If you go to the, the Temple Mount right now in Jerusalem, you're gonna see some white plastic Walmart chairs. I'm sure that has nothing to do with the rabbinic school there in Jerusalem and there's going to be teachers sitting down in those chairs and there'll be a few people gathered around and they're going to speak to them the rabbinic way was to sit down the beatitudes having sat down Jesus spoke to them blessed are you so he sits down and now how many of you had show and tell you remember that in school that's when you bring something you bring your puppy you bring a doll you bring something your, your baseball glove. You bring something that's important to you and you're gonna do a report about what that is. You're gonna show it and you're gonna talk about it. Well, Jesus is gonna use an object lesson here. It says, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, you may be thinking, wait a minute. They didn't confess what they were discussing. You know Jesus knows our thoughts before we have it, don't you? Psalm 139, he knows our downsitting, our uprising, a thought before it's in your mind. Every one of us here tonight, what you're thinking right now, that is the lousiest preacher I've ever heard. Jesus knows that thought that you're having. He knows everything about us. He called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, uh, by the way, let me tell you a story. A little boy was in church with his daddy one time and he had a quarter and he wanted to spend it so badly. Have you ever been like that when you were little? You had a quarter, you had a little bit of money, a dollar, and you wanted to spend it so badly. And the dad said, don't just waste that money. You wait, do something good with it. And the little boy kept watching for something he could do with that quarter. He wanted to spend it because he had a quarter. And he waited and waited and he said, what do, what do you mean do something good with it? He said, Wait and use that quarter for something good because, uh, may, because you don't just need to waste it. Maybe do something for the poor. Little boy thought, okay. They went to church that Sunday. The, the offering plate went by. He didn't put it in the offering plate. The service was over. The preacher went to the back of the sanctuary, stood at the door to greet everybody. They're all walking by. And when they get, the little boy and his dad get to that preacher, he reaches in his pocket, pulls that quarter out, and he gives it to the preacher. And that preacher says, son, well, that's, that's so nice of you. I mean, that's unexpected. But I just got to ask you, why in the world would you give me that quarter? And he said, because my dad said, 
do something nice with it, like give it to the poor. And I heard him say, you were the poorest preacher he has ever heard. Now, I have to qualify that. I've never said that in public when I was preaching or teaching that someone before I left didn't give me a quarter. Don't you be that person here tonight, okay, please. But notice what it says. He called the 12, said to him, if any of them wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. Is that what's taught in our secondary education? Is that what is taught in our high schools, our middle schools, our, our elementary? Is that what's taught now? You want to be the best, the greatest, you be last of all. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. I want to be first in line. I want to be first. Jesus said you want to be first, be last. He says to them, taking a child, he set him before them and taking him in his arms. I want to tell you something. If Jesus, I lived in the time Jesus walked on this earth, I'd want my children. I'd want my children right there with Jesus. I'd want them hugging him and I'd want them pulling his beard and him smiling at them and I'd want my children with Jesus. Taking a child, he set him before them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. In other words, if you receive me, you receive God. But if you want to really receive me, you'll receive the least of these the ones the world said is unimportant, you do not count. The unlovable, the small, the unintelligent, not the hierarchy that we have in our, in our earthly human system. You want to be the greatest of all? Be the servant of all, Jesus said. That's not the way we do things in the world. Don't we want to do big things? Some of you that might have come uh, from other states and you have come from other areas around the country what have you heard about Texas? Things in Texas are what? Just a little bigger. They really are, aren't they? Uh, and we have a big state. If you, turn, if you went across Texas this way, the number of miles, and you turn that up north and south, you're almost getting to Canada. Did you know that? That's how wide our state is. We have varied uh, topography, all different types of, uh, of situations, and, and trees, shrubbery, all kinds of different beautiful sights to see. We do things big in Texas. But that's kind of an American thing. How many of you talk about a restaurant? There's a restaurant called Mary's in Strong, Texas. Uh-oh. Kim's been there before. Order a chicken fry if you dare. It will not be like this. It will not be like this. It will not be like this. It will be a platter they bring you, and it will be hanging off the platter. If you order French fries with that, it will be in a lady's shoebox. It will be full of French fries. It is wonderful. I used to think in, uh, Mary's is world famous. People fly in from around the world to go to this little small town restaurant. I used to think that it was an old white-haired grandmother in there cooking old-fashioned home uh, comfort food. And it was a young lady doing that, and she's been there for decades now. We do big things. A child is not that important. We want, we want to be the ones, you know, it can even be in the church. I want to witness to the big dogs. I want to witness to the important people of the town. I want, to, I want God to use my life to witness to the, the, the town fathers. Let's, uh, let's see if some of them will become Christians and I'll bring them to church and I'll walk in with them and look what I've done. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. 
A little woman, a widow woman came and she had two what we would call little pennies and she gave it in the treasury. And all these other rich men, uh, Jewish custom was often to throw things in there and the, the more they threw in there, it would rattle in that metal and it would, it would sound that they have given much to the treasury. And Jesus said, I tell you, this woman with her two mites gave more than all the rest of these rich people have given. What do you think their faces looked like when he said that? I wish I could have been there. She gave more than all the rest of these rich people because she gave all that she had. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. There's a paradox many times throughout the Gospels that Jesus said it's not the way the world says. That can happen in church. That can happen in church. Pastors can get caught up in wanting to be famous. They want to name drop. They want to talk about the author. They want to sign the back of the book as part of the acknowledgments. They want the political people to come to their, ha- to their church and they want... They want to, to be seen with celebrities sometimes. It can happen to any church. I want to tell you something. I've been in the ministry 42 years, big deal. Uh, pastor to church, big deal. I still believe to this day, all ages, uh, I've been blessed to be able to speak in a lot of different places. I think one of the most fruitful ministries that I ever had was teaching fifth and sixth Sunday school. I really do. Fifth and sixth grade Sunday school. I believe God has used my life probably more than the thousands of sermons that I preached or the thousands of lessons that I taught. There was just something about that age group that was awesome. A little girl in that class, I can still see her face right now today. She and her brother came for the very first time to that Sunday school. And I was uh, teaching parables, teaching the truths of God's word, teaching about David and Goliath and different things. And, and uh, it might have been on Father's Day, actually, because I was talking about how dads and how very valuable dads are. God bless you, women. You do so much for your family. You do so much for these churches. And we honor you. We lift you up. But dads, there is nothing that replaces you. There's nothing. Your families need you to be present. And this little girl was telling me, she said, can I tell you something about what happened to me? And I said, sure. Never seen her before. Cute little girl, just just gorgeous to look at. Sweet, innocent. About fifth grade. She said, my dad and I, we were out, uh, our family was out swimming in a river and there was a kind of high place and and I was kind of scared to jump in. But my dad said, come on, let's jump together. If you'll jump, I'll jump. And I thought, he's trying to teach her a lesson. That's good. But that little girl looked at me and she said, I jumped, but my daddy didn't. Boy, my heart just hit me. I thought, giving the benefit of the doubt, uh, did something miscommunicated? Did it, you know? And she just said, no, he just didn't keep his word to me. And I told that little girl and the rest of the class, I'm sorry, maybe your dad Uh, meant to and something else happened we don't know but I want to tell you something you've got a father in heaven and that's the father of Jesus and he's our father too and if he tells you he's going to jump he'll jump he'll always keep his word to you if we're not careful we want the big it's got to be bigger and better than everybody else we want the important And we walk past the one that hardly anyone else notices. 
And that's who God wants us to smile at, to reach out to, to welcome. Always remember, a little with the Lord is a lot. It's sometime. Did you know in the Old Testament, one of the rebukes that God made against Israel, you've despised the day of small things. They wanted to do bigger and better. We got to be careful. At school, did anybody ever tell on anybody else? Tattletale. Oh, I just hated that. I have a big brother and a little brother. I've told you before, I learned a lot from my big brother how to treat a little brother. I could just pass it right on down to him. But often in our family, somebody go tattle. They go tell what one of us did. And in verse 38, it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he was not following us. That sounds just like a kid in school. Do you know what Billy did? Billy out there in the program did this, and I want you to know he did this. And that teacher's saying, yeah, what did you do? You know, teacher's been there before. Now, John's one of my heroes. Don't mistake this. He's one of my heroes of the Bible. But in this time, John is saying, Teacher, let us tell you about somebody else. Is he trying to deflect maybe away from them a little bit. Let's get Jesus' attention on something else so it's not just on us. We found somebody who casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following with us. You remember what last week was? They tried to cast out demons of a person and they couldn't do it. And the man brought that one to Jesus and Jesus says, this kind comes out by prayer. Some versions say prayer and fasting. What he was telling the disciples, you're not trusted in me. You've gone back to trusting in your own self. You didn't even pray about this very much at all. John is tattling on somebody else, but he's actually saying, hey, they did do something we couldn't do. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon after afterward to speak evil of me for he who is not against us is for us I was so glad uh, Jared the, the man who came and prayed in the beginning and gave the announcements had no idea that I was going to say this tonight but do you know he prayed for other churches or he mentioned other churches you and I need to do that very thing too we don't just need to pray for our church we need to pray for believers all around the world and that's what Jesus is, is going to tell them and, and is telling them well, they're not with us. They're not one of the, the 12 apostles. Jesus said, listen, there are other believers out there. He that's not against us is for us. We got brothers and sisters in other families that are part of our family. Moses was told that there were two men prophesying in the camp when everybody else had left and they came tattling did you know Eldad and me, Dad are still in the camp prophesying when everybody else left? And Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Are you envious because of me? You think I'm going to be jealous of two other guys that God's speaking through? He said, I wish all of God's people were prophets. And that's the way a real man or woman of God ought to be. We ought to rejoice in the victories of other people, not be jealous not be jealous of the gifts of the spirit they have or their family that they have. We've dealt with, uh, dealt with jealousy before. Some of you here tonight, you may not tell us, but you're a very gifted musician. I want to promise you, you've dealt with jealousy because some people have been envious of you because you can play an instrument better than they can. Some of you are intelligent. 
Your GPA and my GPA were not the same. And I'll bet you, those of you who are gifted to be very intelligent, there's been people jealous of you. Some of you are very attractive. All of you are very attractive. Let me back up. Excuse me. All of you are very attractive, but I'm, I'm not that attractive. Let me just put it on me. But all of you who are attractive, somebody's going to be jealous of you. You can run faster, a better athlete, whatever it may be. There's going to be somebody. I have a very gifted children. I'm so thankful for that. But they've dealt with jealousy their whole life. Other young people jealous of them because of what they could do. How jealous do you think it can get in church? I had a pastor friend of mine. He's been my friend since the second grade. He was a pastor out in the panhandle of Texas. They had a, a revival, they called it. They invited an evangelist to come in and preach for a few days. And after he preached, one of his parishioners came up to him and he said to him, Brother Johnny, don't you wish you could preach like him? Wasn't that nice? <laughs> Wasn't that nice to say that? Jealousy can get in the church. We don't have a lot of problem here at Denton Bible with anybody thinking that Tommy Nelson uh, might not be uh, a better teacher than they are. There's such a gap between Tommy Nelson and all the rest of us. There's no question about that. But jealousy can get in the church. He speaks better. She does this better. And Jesus is saying, now you got to get along. How important is teamwork in school? Teamwork's important. We got to get along. Verse 41, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name is followers of Christ. Truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Again, I want to mention Jesus is saying to them, now this doesn't look like an important ministry, giving a little bit of a drink of water. It's not dynamic. It's not big, visible, emotional, sensational. It's what the world would say is not that important. And Jesus is saying, I tell you what, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, that's a big deal. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. The New Testament tells us, don't undervalue small ministry because small ministry can change your life. I was just telling some of these young adults over here. When I went to college, I went down uh, one of the first nights, my, probably my sophomore year, I went to a new church, went to that church and I sat down and an older couple, uh, I said older, you know, I thought they were older, probably 35 at that time, that was old then. And they came up to me after the service was over and said, are you from the college? I said, yes. You by yourself? Yes. We would love to take you to dinner tonight. Thank you for coming to church with us. You're by yourself. We'd just love to take you out for dinner. I have never forgotten those people. It's just the offer of one meal, one night, in one place, one person, one couple. But it changed my life. I'm talking about it all these years later. So, I need to be careful that I don't undervalue the smallest ministry because the smallest ministry might change somebody's life. Did you ever get a citizenship grade? This is fun. What'd you make on citizenship? Anybody? All right, confess. Talks too much. Come on, I want to see who you are. Talks too much. Good, thank you, thank you. We'll have confessional right after we get through that. Talks too much. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd be cast into the sea. 
Jesus says, you better behave. I can still hear my beautiful, uh, godly mama say, you better mind. You go to school, you better mind those teachers. You better behave. How many of you, if you got in trouble at school, you were in that era when you got in trouble at home? Yeah, mm-hmm. Be better for them who causes one of these little ones to stumble, have a millstone hung around his neck. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, this is hyperbole. He's not saying really cut your hand off. He's using an exaggerated uh, English way to say it'd be better for you to not have a hand to go to hell in unquenchable fire. Where their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. If you'll notice, verse 44, verse 46, and verse 48 have those same words written there. Some manuscripts, manuscripts only had it one time. We have it recorded three different times. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell. Where their worm does not die, their fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He's saying, if you've got influences in your life that cause you and encourage you, lead you down the wrong path, take a new path. Get away from people that tear you down and get with people that build you up. Behave. Don't cause trouble. And Jesus says here, don't mess with my little ones. Don't mess with my, I love that. Don't mess with these little ones. Anybody ever walk out of your house and your parents told you, make a difference? Make a difference today. Make a difference in somebody's life. Somebody doesn't have lunch money, you help them with it. You tell me the next day, we'll get them some. Don't tell anybody else. Make a difference in somebody. If somebody's sitting by themselves and they don't have any friends, you go be a friend to them. Make a difference. Verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. I want to tell my cardiologist that. I would like to have a plaque made. If any of you make plaques with verses on there, would you put verse 50 of this chapter? And I want to take it to my cardiologist next time I have a, an appointment. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what shall it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Jesus uses salt to illustrate in the Old Testament a sacrifice was made with salt to symbolize faithfulness. So he's telling his disciples, you need to have salt, be faithful. Number two, uh, make a difference in the world because of the flavor that you are. Christians, you are supposed to make a difference in this world. Where you live and how you live, where you go to school, where you work, you are to be salt, salt and light. You're to be a light in the midst of a dark world. You're to be salt that will bring flavor into this world that others can see there's something different about you. And then thirdly, salt is a preservative. I believe the church is salt in this earth and that's one of the reasons why the earth is still standing because God has believers here. We can be useless if we let our salt lose its saltiness. We forsake our witness. We turn back from following the Lord. So what does all this mean? Well, I just think they had private school with Jesus. He taught them the first lesson here. I'm going to be betrayed, crucified, dead, buried, and rise again from the dead. They failed their first test because it says they didn't understand anything we were saying. There was trouble on the playground. Well, I think I'm going to be the greatest. Well, I think I'm going to be the greatest. Well, you think you're going to be, but I tell you, I think he's going to be. 
trouble on the playground. He grabbed a little child and said, now I tell you what, you want to be the greatest, you'd be like this little child. In another gospel, he said, by the way, if you don't become converted and become like a little child, you're not going to get to heaven. I bet they like that one. John tattled on the other people. There's believers over there. Jesus said, don't, we're not against them. If they're for us, we're not against them. John, there's some of us, teamwork, we're on the same team. And Jesus tells them, make a difference. Be salt and light in this world. Men and women, right around you, people you see every day could be the very ones waiting for you to reach out to them, to share Christ with them. You may be the very ones. Make a difference in the world. Make a difference in the world. Do you remember what was written in your yearbook? Most likely to. Anybody ever have that? She or he is most likely to. I'm afraid to go look at mine. Make a difference. Private school with Jesus. He's preparing them for Jerusalem. Calvary. I want to share one story with you as I close tonight. Um, after a lot of years of ministry, pastoring, I was in transition before I was called here to Denton Bible. Been here about 11 or 12 years. So very grateful for this church. It's not perfect because I'm here. I kind of brought the, I kind of skewed the, the perfection uh, measurement there, but it's a great church. I love, I love my church. But before I was uh, hired here on staff, I worked at a place in another town and out in the business world. And I thought, Lord, uh, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But I always wondered, why am I here? Why am I here? I was getting to preach around in churches around the Metroplex, and I enjoyed that and teaching in churches that I was attending. But uh, I've been a pastor for a lot of years and I just thought Lord why am I here working in this in this business setting there was a young man there 19 years old his name was George spelled J-O-R-G-E he was Hispanic spoke English better than I do a young man that was really older than his years you know what I mean he was just mature in fact uh, they made him a, a manager not long after that at 19 years old just very uh, very mature very uh, older than his years. He and I got along really well and he found out that I was a Christian. I loved the Lord and he began to ask me questions and he'd say, what's it going to be like when I die? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, the only thing that's going to matter is if we know Jesus or not. I'm going to die too and you're going to die too and you may beat me or I may beat you but the, really the only thing that's going to matter and he'd just hang his head and look at me and he'd come back in a day or two and he'd say, well, what, you know, what does it mean to, to be a Christian and you know, I grew up in this and I grew up in this. And I said, well, I can, I can tell you what the Bible says. That, and I talked to him about Jesus almost every day. And still, I'm sitting there kind of feeling sorry for myself, thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here at this, this business? Why am I here, Lord? I'll follow you wherever you ask me to go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But why am I here? And then George would walk up again and say, you know, what is it like to be a Christian? And I I finally just said, George, if you died right now, do you know that you'd be in heaven? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Or do you know you've been born again? Are you saved? Do you know you'd be in heaven? He said, no. And I said, George, the only thing that matters for you and me is to make sure that we know Jesus. 
I was still getting a lot of calls from my hometown at that time, a lot of funerals, weddings, uh, back from the church that I'd, I'd pastored. And so I'd get calls, and I'd say, yeah, that was one of the church people back there. I got to go do a wedding. Or I got a call one day, and it was from a, a family that I knew well, and a 19-year-old boy, same age as George, had laid his shotgun up out in the country on a barbed wire fence. And as he was, was climbing over that fence, that shotgun had gone off and hit him in the chest. And as I got that message to pray for him and his family, you're talking about Father's Day, that dad was holding his son, praying with him. Can you imagine what that was like? I got that message and I turned to George that day and I said, George, this boy's 19 years old. In a few moments, his eternal destiny is gonna be set. His dad's praying with him right now out in the country next to a barbed wire fence and he's holding him in his arms and he won't live very much longer. George, 19-year-old George, what about you and me? George just hung his head praying for him and begging God, would you please work in his life? And, and I'm thinking, you know, God's got me here. I need, to, I need to teach him something. I need to teach him about Jesus. And, and uh, the phone rang one day and George answered it and I saw his face and he just turned white. And he turned to me and he said, Mike, my wife has just had a wreck down the road. And I said, go. And he ran out of that business and quickly got down there to her. I said, you call me and let me know how to help. Tell me what's going on. He called back a few hours later and said, my wife's okay. She's scared to death. Somebody ran into her, but she's not hurt and she's okay. And I said, I thank you, Lord, that George, that George your wife's okay. He came back to work uh, a while later. And I said, George, your wife's okay? Yes. He said, I, I need to be a Christian. I said, George, you can do that anytime. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe what the Bible says? Will you confess Jesus through the mouth? And he'd hang his head. You don't think God was working on him, though? I was getting to preach at a church in the Metroplex, and I said, George, would you come to church with us next Sunday? I think it was in Grapevine, Grand Prairie, or somewhere. I can't remember. And George said, yes, I will. Yes, I will. So here, George and his wife came into church. And we preached a message about God's grace and how he can save us. And at the end of that service, they wanted us to give an altar call, an invitation, old-fashioned one. And I did an invitation, and I looked up, and there George was. 19-year-old, very intelligent, old beyond his years, good worker, walked down that aisle, and he came to me, and he said, Mike, I'm ready. I want to believe in Jesus and I want to trust him and I want to ask him to forgive me and we prayed that old fashioned sinner's prayer that day some people don't like doing that I sure do and George became a Christian that day I thought God had me there private school for George you know who was, who was getting the schooling it was me it was me I didn't have to be in a pulpit didn't have to be up front, didn't have to have a church, didn't have to have any of those kind of things. What was Jesus trying to teach me there that day? That that season that I went through was for his good. 
wherever you're at here today, no matter what you're going through, you may say, I don't know what the next uh, thing God has for me. Don't worry about it. Take it a day at a time. Sounds cliche, doesn't it? But there's a George in your life. George called me not too long ago and said, Mike, how are you? I said, great, how are you? Got children now that are growing up, Georgian church, yeah. You glad you're saved? Yeah, I'm a Christian now, and I know that if I died, I'd be with Jesus. Private school. Somebody is waiting for you to take them to private school. Let's pray. Mark, if you'll come lead us. Father, we thank you for these verses, this passage. The disciples are just like us. They don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus, you loved them so much, you're getting them ready. You are getting them ready for your death. That's an amazing thing. Thank you for loving them, for teaching them, for bearing with them, just like us, Lord. We failed you so many times. We don't ask the right questions. We're afraid to ask the other questions. Lord, we're just in such need of you. But I thank you, Lord, there was a George that day. And you got a hold of him. And you changed his life. And he's not the same today. Would you really excite everyone in the room here tonight? That there's people in our lives just like that. They're watching our lives to see if we mean this faith. They're watching our lives to see if there's something different that we have that they don't have. They're watching our lives and they're waiting for us to say, you know, Jesus, let me tell you what he's done in my life. I thank you, Father, that you took the disciples to private school and they heard from Jesus. If we need to do the same, take us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.